Good morning. So after 50 days of prayer and celebration, we bring our Easter season to a close. And as we gather on this feast of Passover, our scripture focuses on the what next in our call to discipleship. For we hear in John's Gospels, the disciples once again locked up in the upper room, and they're asking themselves that same question. And then Jesus appears. And Jesus responds by greeting them with peace, giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then sending them forth just as the Father had sent him. So now some 2,000 years later, what does that what next look like for you and me? As Paul reminds us that despite all our differences, the fact is that we all have different gifts and we are all baptized into the one body of Christ and we too have been given that gift of the Spirit. But armed with all that, well, what do we do? Or better yet, what don't we do? When we are called forth and when we're sent. So listen to this old African parable and see what I mean. The rainy season that year had been the strongest ever, and the river had broken its banks. There were floods everywhere, and the animals were all running up into the hills. The floods came so fast that many drowned, except the lucky monkeys who were able to climb up into the treetops. They looked down on the surface of the water where the fish were swimming and gracefully jumping out of the water as if they were the only ones enjoying this devastating flood. One of the monkeys saw the fish and shouted to his companion, Look down, my friend. Look at all those poor creatures. They're going to drown. Do you see how they struggle in the water? Yes, said the other monkey. What a pity. Probably they were late in escaping to the hills because they seem to have no legs. How can we save them? I think we must do something. Let's go close to the edge of the flood where the water is not deep enough to cover us and we can help them out. So the monkeys did just that. They started catching the fish, but not without difficulty. One by one, they brought them out of the water and put them carefully on the dry land. And after a short time, there was a pile of fish lying on the grass, motionless. One of the monkeys said, do you see? They were tired, but now they're just sleeping and resting. Had it not been for us, my friend, these poor fish without legs would have drowned. The other monkey said, they were trying to escape from us because they could not understand our good intentions. But when they wake up, they will be very grateful because we have brought them salvation. In our efforts to go forth, how do we respond to those who are different from us? Don't we often make assumptions about others? Isn't it easy to point out how different they are in a way that makes us feel superior? For the most part, I think many of us here in Princeton have the potential of making very good monkeys. But do we take the time to note the differences. 
Can we pause long enough? Can we listen well enough to experience what it's like to be the fish? Just as Jesus Christ emptied himself to become one of us, what does it look like for you and for me to empty ourselves so that we can be one with each other? Or are we just too busy trying to give advice and just fix everyone else's problem? Author Palmer Parker recently wrote a piece where he talks about those who minister to him during a major medical challenge in his life. And this is what he said. Advice giving comes naturally to our species. It's mostly done with good intent. But in my experience, the driver behind, behind a lot of advice has as much to do with self-interest as in the interest of others' needs. And some advice can end up doing more harm than good. Many of us helper types are as much more concerned with being seen as good helpers as we are with serving the soul-deep needs of the person who needs help. Witnessing and companion take time and patience, which we often lack, especially when we're in the presence of suffering so painful we can hardly ba barely stand to be there. We want to apply our fix and then cut and run, figuring we've done the best we can to quote-unquote save the other person. Parker goes on to talk about his dear friend Bill who would come over every day uh, with permission, not say a whole lot, and simply massage Parker's feet. Parker writes, by offering me this quiet companionship for a couple months, day in and day out, Bill actually helped save my life. Unafraid to accompany me in my suffering, he made me less afraid of myself. He was present, simply and fully present, in the same way one needs to be at the bedside of a dying person. There's no doubt Bill knew what to do next. He knew how to be one with another person. And then lastly, there is Bernard Francis Casey. Barney was born in Oak Grove, Wisconsin, 1870. He was one of 16 children of an Irish immigrant. Young Barney felt a call to priesthood, but at the age of 16, he had to go work to pull money in for the family. And he did whatever work was available, from a lumberjack to prison guard, whatever. He did it to his best ability. He wanted to serve God in all things. When he was 21, he was finally able to enter the seminary in Milwaukee, and studying didn't come easy for Barney. But after much work, he was finally ordained a priest at the age of 33, and he was given the title Simple Priest, meaning he was not permitted to preach or hear confessions. That didn't bother him. He took joy in having the honor and privilege of just being able to offer Mass. Father Casey lived in Detroit, and his main job at the monastery, he was the doorkeeper. Wanting to do absolute best of whatever God chose for him, he became the finest doorkeeper, and he did it well for 20 years. Unexpectedly, he became known for his service to the sick and those who visited the monastery, and people began attributing cures and other blessings to the interactions they had with him. 
He quickly became known as the doorkeeper. He died in 1957 at the age of 88. It's under consideration by Rome for sainthood. See, Barney had figured out what that what next was merely to open and close doors and to be present to others. So what do we do next? I know maybe you start by looking at all that you currently do. And is it feeding you? And thus, is it feeding others? Because discipleship isn't measured by the amount that you do. That just feeds the ego. For discipleship can be as simple as rubbing someone's feet who is ill. Perhaps opening a door and greeting the person who's knocking. Or in my case, recently, gazing into the eyes of the divine when holding my new grandson. Discipleship can be as easy as just listening to someone's story and allowing a fish to be a fish and to swim on by. Because our call to action, our call to follow him, does not ask us to fix or to save others. Rather, it's about being present, being attentive, and being able to sit still and listen. The kind of listening that allows the soul of the other to become one with yours, which allows us to hear and to be heard and to be in a better position to respond to this call of discipleship, the call to be sent forth, the call to companion the other exactly as they are.